When we come to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, there are some really, really rich um, passages of Scripture. There's rich material in the uh, in both the Old and New Testament. I wish we had time to cover the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament because there, there's some really amazing and, and blessed material there, but we won't have time for doing that. I've got I've got a 29 slides, I think, on that. But um, today we're going to cover the material that was in the chapter. And because this is Sunday school, um, we're going to be doing a lot of teaching. Hopefully we'll be able to make this clear so that you can understand what the scriptures say. I'm sure you can. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. But um, anyway, we will be... We will be spending time in the word and please feel free if you have any questions as we're going through the material to uh, ask questions and and um, we will do our best to answer them i'm sure there are questions that i will not be able to answer but we'll do our best okay let's pray and ask the lord to uh, kick us off with a um, as ask the lord to bless us as we kick off this uh, section on the holy spirit and um, I'm going to ask uh, Jim Byrne if you would open us in prayer, please. Father, we thank you that in your word is all that we need to know the gospel, to know righteousness, to know who you are, to be sanctified, to be taught, to be rebuked at times. Everything we need is in your word. And we thank you for the gifts of men when they write books, the gifts of teachers like Larry who teach. And, and those you provide and the, and the resources you provide to us to guide us and teach us more of your truth. We pray that this morning um, we would um, comprehend well what we're being taught and that, Lord, it would lead us to a greater worship of you and of you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, because you will, you're the one who abides in us and works in us. You're the one who opens our eyes and gives us understanding. You're the one who restrains us. So we pray that we would have more of you and think more of you as we tend to not think of you as often, maybe, and that we would worship you as the, as the third person of the Trinity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So today we begin with uh, what the um, scriptures have to say about the Holy Spirit. The basic creed of Reformed churches, as most familiarly known, is called the Apostles' Creed. You've probably heard that before. In fact, I think we've even recited it before in church. And one of the statements of the creed is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The question is, what Holy Spirit do you believe in? There are different views of the Holy Spirit, and we need to be clear on who the Holy Spirit is and what Holy Spirit we believe in. Before we get into that in uh, more detail, the chapter pointed out the fact that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, what is taught about the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, is progressively revealed. Remember reading that in the book? It was progressively revealed. The Holy Spirit uh, in Revelation is what we're going to be talking about now, though is progressively revealed. What do we mean by 
progressive revelation well one simple definition would be this the doctrines of the bible are gradually and more fully revealed as we move move from earlier scriptures to later scriptures that's probably not too difficult to understand as we go through the bible and as more and more books of the bible were written then more and more revelation more and more truth about any given doctrine was was uh, provided by the lord in fact charles hodge a systematic theologian says this the progressive character of divine revelation is recognized in relation to all the great doctrines of the bible and that is basically true we start with for example Genesis 3.15, it says that the seed will come, seed of the woman, well, who is that going to be? And as we go through the scriptures, we learn more and more about what that seed is, who that seed is, it's ultimately Christ. It's sort of like um, learning math. You know, when, uh, is Jim Golly in here? No, don't see him in here. All right, well, Jim Golly, I believe, teaches algebra. But he's not going to be able to teach algebra to any student who's not gone through first, second, third, fourth, fifth grades and has learned how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. If you don't know how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, you're not going to be able to learn algebra. So um, revelation is sort of like that. It's, it's learning the basics, learning certain basic fundamentals that the scriptures will give us. And then as time goes on, more and more is revealed. And so we might say the revelation of algebra contains a fuller understanding of math than does the earlier revelation of addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. But notice, when we say that, we are not saying that algebra contradicts adding and subtracting and multiplying and dividing. There's no contradiction there, it just builds on it. And so later revelation is, there's no contradiction to what was given earlier, there's simply a building on what was given earlier. Or the uh, couple of the analogies that have often been given is the, the relationship of a, a bud to the flower. The bud contains everything that the flower will ultimately be when it fully blooms, and, uh, and yet it's not exactly the full flower in full bloom. Or think of an, an infant, a baby is first born, and, uh, and yet has to go undergo development and maturity. It's the same person when that one reaches adulthood. There's no contradiction, as it were. There's no um, problem, but there, there's continuity between what the child ultimately becomes and what it started out as. There's continuity there. It's the same person, but yet there is growth, there is maturity, there's development, and that is what we're talking about when we talk about progressive revelation. And just to give you a quick example of that, let me ask you a question. We're talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, who knows, anybody know, the first time in Scripture where the Spirit of God is called the Holy Spirit? We know. Well, the first time that the scriptures refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit and not, say, this, just the Spirit of God is in Psalm 51. And I'd like for you to turn with me to Psalm 51.
Why do you think it was in Psalm 51, when we think about progressive revelation, why do you think it was in Psalm 51 that we first learned that the Holy Spirit is, the first time that he is called the Holy Spirit? Well, I think what we have to do is understand the context here. I think most of you know that the context is, is when David <clears throat> had committed a couple of horrible, terrible sins against the Lord. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba, Bathsheba and saw that Uriah, the Hittite, her husband, was murdered in an attempt to cover up his sin. Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance, confession and repentance. We don't have time to read the whole psalm, but I would like for us to read beginning in verse 10. And I want you to think about this. What has happened prior to this with regard to the Holy Spirit is he has been revealed in terms of his work in creation. He has been revealed in terms of his work in the theocratic nation of Israel. So his work in the world has been uh, set before us. His work in the nation of Israel has been set before us. But now we're going to see in a very sort of different personal individualistic way the work of the Holy Spirit in an individual who is David. And though it has theocratic implications, for his, there are the theocratic implications to his repentance, nevertheless, what this psalm is going to show us is something more intensely personal. Look at verse 10. David cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, so if you're in the ESV, sorry, it'll be a little bit different, but I'm sure you'll be able to follow along. Do not cast me away from thy presence, and do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. And I will treat, then I will teach, then, then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted to thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of thy righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my, that my mouth may declare thy praise, for thou dost not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. Thou art not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And so we see here with regard to David that he refers to the Spirit as the Holy Spirit, and he prays that God would not take his Holy Spirit from him. What we see in this passage is a, a very deep, personal, intense work of the Holy Spirit in an individual I believe that it is called, that he is, that in this case, David calls the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit because that intense, deep, personal work is going on in him to cause him to see the holiness of God, to see his own unholiness, and causing him to repent. Notice how he, what he cries out here, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit. What's going what's gonna to happen as a result of this? Do not cast me away from thy presence. I need your presence, God. Do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. I need your spirit to do a work in my heart because my heart is so corrupt. I can't do this on my own. I don't have my own strength to do all that needs to be done. 
Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Where is that willing spirit going to come from? It's going to come from a clean conscience because his heart has been clean. It's going to come from the fact that he's been forgiven of all of his blood guiltiness. But it's going to also come from the fact that God has not left him outside of his presence and God has sent his Holy Spirit to work within him so that he will have that willing spirit that he cries out for. So that he will then, then, when the Holy Spirit is doing that work in him, Teach transgressors his ways. Then will David's tongue sing joyfully. Then will David's tongue, be, his lips be opened. Then will he be able to declare the praise of God as he should. He has, been not, he has not been doing that for probably at least six months, or probably longer since the time that he fell with Bathsheba. But do you see here that the first time that the Holy Spirit is revealed as the Holy Spirit is when he is doing a deep, personal, individualistic work in the heart of a man who has deeply sinned and who recognizes that without this Spirit, I have no hope. I will not be able to do all the things that he's wanting to do, declare the praise of God. Um, and um, speak forth his praise to others. Well, see, the Holy Spirit is now being revealed in the way that he is going to work later on in the history of redemption. So David becomes the model of what the Spirit of God does in the life of one who truly knows God. Under the new covenant, all will know him. Under the old covenant, all did not know him. Many in Israel did not know him. David did. Under the new covenant, all will know him because all will have been broken over their sin and will have repented of it. And so we see in the New Testament, the standard term for the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. I counted 90 times in the New Testament. You know how many times in the whole Old Testament he's called Holy Spirit? Three. Two of them are in just two verses in Isaiah 63, 10 and 11. The other one is here. Just two places in three times. But in the New Testament, the holiness of the Spirit of God is highlighted. That's what we might call progressive revelation because God's people in the New Testament all will become ultimately holy. And David becomes a model of that. And so we see then that... um, this is kind of a, one example. There are many other examples, maybe some even clearer ones, because this one had to do with the Holy Spirit. And the first time he's called the Holy Spirit, I thought it would be a, appropriate for this, this, um, this lesson. And one more time, or one more thing that I want to point out about this with regard to what we might call progressive revelation, and that is this. <clears throat> who is the holiest man who ever lived? Jesus. 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 Absolutely holy. And the scriptures tell us that he was given the spirit without measure. He had the Holy Spirit without measure. He who is ultimately perfectly holy. So that is the Holy Spirit. And that is the idea of uh, progressive revelation. Now let's look at the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. That is his being ontologically, remember that term that we talked about when I talked about the Trinity? Ontologically, first of all, we're going to find out that he is a person. 
And we're going to find out he is a distinct person. And then we are going to talk about his being a divine person. So the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And remember this uh, diagram that I used uh, when I taught in the Trinity <clears throat> that illustrates the Trinity. We have God. We've got the Son, we've got the Spirit, and we've got the Father. Each one is equally God. The Son is God, the Father is God, the Spirit is God. But each one is distinct and different from the other. They are not the same persons. And so we see that with regard to the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is considered, is taught in the Scripture to be God just as much as the Father and the Son. So with regard to his being, who he is in his essence, he is God. The Spirit is God. And yet, he is not the Son, nor is he the Father. They are distinct. So that is just a real summary of what we are going to be talking about right now. So let's talk about the fact that he is a person. The use of the term person. Well, the use of the term person is actually an imperfect that's an imperfect term, and we say that it's imperfect simply because it's really difficult to comprehend or uh, in, in a single term the very being of an infinite God. You know, how, how can you do that? You, you can't. Um, yet is the, it is the term that has been used for a long time and has served its purpose well. And if you can come up with a better one, you can write your own systematic theology and let us all know. But um, we, want, we have to remember, though, when we talk about the term person, that it is, it, this term is not identical to the use of the word to describe humans. When we talk about humans, human persons, if I talk about Jim as a person and uh, Elizabeth as a person, um, they are two distinct and independent persons. But when we talk about the divine persons, the persons within the Trinity, they are distinct, but they are not independent of one another. Because there is one God, one God, and he is three persons. Can you fully comprehend that? Well, I can't. Nevertheless, that is what the scriptures teach. So, the, when we talk about person with regard to God, there are three persons. We have to remember then that the term person is not really identical with the use of the term person when we talk about human beings. But that term has served the, the church well for centuries, and so we will continue to use that. <clears throat> All right, let's look at some of the proof that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, a person. First, um, the, he has the uh, properties or characteristics used exclusively of persons. What are some of those? What do you, when you think about a person as opposed to, yes, Gene? He's a helper. Okay, he's, he's a helper. Help. What, what is something that would distinguish... Um, a person from an animal. Emotions. 
Okay, a will, motion, intellect. Okay, all right, you got them right. I don't. You can teach this class. Okay. Uh, oops. I get that one. Let's look at some of these passages. I'm going to give you some passages of scripture to look up. So, um, Scott, I'm going to start with you down there if you don't mind. Would you look up First uh, Corinthians chapter two, verses ten and eleven? And um, Christina, would you look up? Isaiah 40 and verse 13. And then I guess we'll, I'll go ahead and hand out some other verses. I'm not, sh I'm, not I'm sorry, I don't know your... This is, this is my sister, Claire. My Jessica. Claire, okay. I know Jessica, but I know Claire. Okay, Claire, um, would, you, would you be willing to read for us? Sure. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. And then Jessica, if you would... Look up Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 10. Larry, if you could, assignments again. Okay. Yours is 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Yes, sir. Christina, Isaiah 40, verse 13. And Claire, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. And Jessica, Isaiah 63, 7 to 10. Okay, if you will read your passage, Scott. Okay. But unto us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, neither depths, neither deep things of God. For who among men knoweth the things of man? Save the Spirit of the man which is in him. Even so the things of God none knoweth. Save the Spirit of God. Okay. Now, you're reading an older translation. It is that, that's fine. Some of the newer translations will translate uh, that last verse there. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What that tells us is that the Holy Spirit is able to comprehend the thoughts of God. That means he has a mind, right? You can't really comprehend thoughts without a mind. So we, we learn from the scriptures that the Holy Spirit has a mind. That's a characteristic of a person. And in fact, we learned that he is a divine person from this because he can comprehend the thoughts of God. Well, there's no human being, there's no other being, angel or otherwise, that can fully comprehend the thoughts of God except God alone. And thus we learned actually both the fact that he is divine as well as has a mind. Okay, Isaiah 40 and verse 13. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Okay, who, who has counseled the Spirit of God? You know, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? Well, that shows us that the Holy Spirit has a mind to be informed, right? Um, that to receive counsel, you've got to have a mind. And, uh, and yet it's saying in this passage, the implication is no one because he already has all counsel and all knowledge. There's nobody who's going to inform the Holy Spirit. He knows all things. There's nobody going to counsel him. He already knows all and has all wisdom. You can't provide to him something that he doesn't already have. <coughs> so the, the, um, all of these, uh, these passages of Scripture presuppose a distinct personality of the Holy Spirit as well. And the Spirit is called in these passages him, personal pronouns. So let's go to the uh, fact that the Holy Spirit has a will. Um, Claire? Yeah. 
these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individual as he wills. Okay. As he wills. This is talking about the gifts of the spirit, which we'll talk about later. But it's saying the, the spirit gives gifts. The one and the same spirit. And how does he give them? Does he go out and uh, say, well, let's see, I'm going to figure out, uh, ask you what you want to do, what you want to be. No, he says it does as he wills. Notice again the personal pronoun he, and notice the fact that he wills. He gives out the spirit, out, out the gifts of the spirit as he wills. And then um, one other passage, I don't think I assigned this one yet. I'll go ahead and read it myself. John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes or wills, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And you know that there's a play on words here. The word wind uh, in Greek and Hebrew both uh, have a, it's the same Greek word, same Hebrew word. Um, can be translated both wind or spirit. And, uh, and so in talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, um, the analogy as a wind blowing where it wills, the spirit blows where he wills as well. And so there's the concept of the will being involved there and the spirit doing his own good will as he chooses. So the Holy Spirit has a will. Let's go to um, Jessica. I think I gave you Isaiah 63, right? 7 through 10. <clears throat> I will count the steadfast love of the Lord the praises of the Lord, according to all the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Okay, what translation are you reading from? ESV. ESV, okay. Well, I have the NASB, and the NASB has in verse 10, grieved his Holy Spirit. But the point that I'm getting at here <clears throat> is that the Holy Spirit has what we might call emotions or passions. Now, I know there's a big controversy over that, but um, <clears throat> notice what it says with regard to the Holy Spirit, verse 10. After all those good things that God had done for his people, what do they do? Verse 10, rebelled. they rebelled. And what happened? The Holy Spirit was grieved. And whether you want to call that a quote, passion or emotion, um, you're going to have to call it something. And it's not the same as just having some information. It's being grieved. Being grieved. And we know that we learn the same thing from, uh, from Ephesians. I don't think I've assigned that one to anybody, but you remember that Ephesians tells us that we are... Not to grieve the Holy Spirit. I will read that. Let no one, no, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind 
to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The way that we use our tongue, the way that we relate to one another, um, the the what we harbor in our hearts, like bitterness and wrath and anger, <clears throat> how tender-hearted we are, how willing we are to forgive. <clears throat> all has, in a sense, an impact on the Holy Spirit. And if we don't speak as we should, harbor in our hearts, hold in our hearts the things that we should, the Holy Spirit is grieved. He is grieved. And we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to... um, But recognize there, then, that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And thus we see in the Holy Spirit that he has the characteristics of persons. He has the characteristics of persons. <clears throat> and those are exclus- used exclusively of persons. Jim? I have a question, and it's maybe more grammatical or understanding being able to interpret the scripture, the writing, but God the Father is also spirit. Right. So my question is, like Genesis 1 is the, is the one I think of the most, and it says, or Genesis 2, I'm sorry, and it said the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. I always interpreted that, maybe incorrectly, as that we're still referring to the Father. But is that actually referring to the Holy Spirit, the third person that was hovering over the waters? Yeah, yes. That's so every time Spirit of God is used, it's not talking about God's Spirit within them like we have a spirit. It's not using that term lightly, if you will. Like when you say, this, like, the, like what you read about the Spirit of a man knowing his thoughts. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Spirit of God is actually a different person. It's not talking about the Father's Spirit, if you will. Am I, am I, do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah. I mean, because that has confused me. I've never always thought every time of that as being the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I thought it was referring to the Father and His Spirit within Him, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, I think you're now understanding it correctly. Um, God Himself, in His essence, both, or all three, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all in their essence spirit. God the Father does not have a spirit. He is spirit. Right. And same thing with regard to the Son and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself. But they have distinct um, roles and um, personalities, so to speak, that um, distinguish them. And they're, we call the first, second, third persons of the Trinity. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're all three are spirit. Well, I, and I understood the roles and the differences that way. I think what I didn't understand is the way it's written. Of course, Jesus is called the Son of God, so I guess the Spirit, and he's a, the second person, so the Spirit of God could be the third person, I understand. But I, I've misunderstood at times reading things like this, especially in the Old Testament, thinking that it was actually referring to the Father mm. incorrectly. I, you know, I didn't realize that until now as you're teaching this that when it speaks of the Spirit of God, it's actually speaking of the third person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and if we had time to cover the lesson on the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, that would be one of the first places we go is Genesis 1, 1, and 2, where the Holy Spirit is doing his work in the world, in forming the world. Good question. Okay. Um, so he has the... Properties and characteristics that are used exclusively of persons. You wouldn't use these 
uh, you wouldn't be able to say these things with regard to dogs and dolphins and turtles and other things. Um, you can only speak of these with regard to a human person. And then, of course, the divine person. So he is a person. Um, let's go on then to the next point, and that is that he engages in activities and actions properly, uh, only that are proper only to persons. Activities and actions that are proper only to persons. <clears throat> let's look at some of um, of those. Actually, what I'm going to do, I don't know if I have this up here. Let me see. No, I guess I don't. Okay. Um, let me just give you a list of them. We're not going to look up all these, but I'll give you a list. The Holy Spirit speaks. He knows. He searches. He reveals. He guides. He teaches. He comforts. He counsels. He testifies. He helps. He loves. He encourages. He convicts. He strives. He warns. He appoints. He commands, he forbids, he is grieved, he may be lied to, he may be resisted, and he may be blasphemed. Those are all characteristics of a person. You know, you wouldn't say that about a dolphin, would you? Or a dog, or a chimpanzee, or any of them. Some of them you might be able to say, well, yeah, my, my dog helps me, he goes out and fetches the paper, or whatever. But not, not nearly in the same way as a human person would do. And of course, all of these things are said with regard to the Holy Spirit. You don't, you don't really <clears throat> find dogs sitting in class here and learning something about uh, the hypostatic union going out and sharing it with their family at home, do you? So, um, you wouldn't say, well, you know, I'm really having a hard time. I think I'll go to my dog for some counsel. Yeah. <laughs> now you might it might make you feel better to hold the puppy, you know, and he loves you and licks your face even though nobody else does. But uh, of course, I'm not so sure I'd want other people licking my face anyway. But okay, so um, the Holy Spirit then engages in these activities and actions that are proper only to persons, and then. Uh, thirdly, he is referred to at the same time and in the same way as, other, as the other two persons of the Trinity. So if the Father is a person, if the Son is a person, then <clears throat> the Spirit is a person. Let's look at these, a couple of passages here. These are well-known passages. Peg, would you, uh, or I guess Jim, I'll, I'll just go with you. Would you look up uh, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, and Elizabeth, uh, Acts uh, fifteen twenty-eight. And uh, Elizabeth, let's see. Maybe we'll just stop at that for the sake of time. Go ahead and read that when you find just that. 19. Yes. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay. So <clears throat> when we are baptized, we're baptized in the name of, name singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, if the Father, if you're being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son, and they are persons, then it stands to reason then that the Spirit is a person as well. And it would be very incongruous for that to be something other than a person who is one of the persons of the Trinity. Okay, and Acts 15, 28, Elizabeth. 14, 15. 
Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Okay, so um, let's see. Well, that's maybe not the best example, but that's what, that'll, that'll be okay. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Well, that's obviously something that is a, uh, a characteristic of a person. And he is, in that instance, being distinguished from God the Father in that the, other, the Father and the Son are not being named there. Um, there are other places that we could go. Probably a better one would have been um, in the, uh, the baptism of Jesus. We see the, the Jesus himself, who is God in the flesh, being baptized, we see the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven, and we see the Father speaking from heaven, saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. <clears throat> so, he's referred to at the same time in the same way as other persons of the Trinity. Let's go on then to the next point here, and that is that the personal pronouns are used of him. We've already seen that in the passages that we have looked at in the, in the past, so um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But he, and some, some people might say, well, in Greek, the, um, the term for spirit is in the neuter, which, um, but the masculine pronouns are still use of the Holy Spirit, in that the neuter use is not one that is indicating the... Um, the lack of personhood, shall we say. Personal pronouns are used of the Holy Spirit as we've already seen. So um, in lots of examples, we could say John 14, 17, which speaks of the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Or... Um, Let's see, first, well, we've already looked at this passage from 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one of the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So the Holy Spirit has the personal pronouns used um, of him, which indicates then that he is a person. But also it's important that we state the next thing, and that is... <coughs> Um, that he is distinguished from his own power and influence. He is distinguished from his own power and influence. He is not merely um, a power. He is not like, may the force be with you. He is not just a force. He is not just an idea. He's not just a concept. Um, Elizabeth, would you look up... Um, Peg. Peg. Okay. <laughs> Her daughters, Elizabeth. Um, would you look up Luke four fourteen? And um, I'll go. I'll um, get another one in here too as well. I think. Uh, Cliff, would you look up Romans fifteen thirteen? And Peg, if you would go ahead and read that. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. Okay, so Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit. So the Spirit has power, 
and his power was given to Jesus. And, um, and so he, the Holy Spirit, is being distinguished from his power, so he's not just a power. Cliff? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Okay. So it's by the Holy Spirit's power that we are going to abound in hope and have joy and peace. So again, <clears throat> it's the power of the Spirit being distinguished from the Spirit himself. He has power, but he is not simply a power or some sort of influence. So um, that is the proof that the Holy Spirit is a person. And um, one of the things I want to highlight here is that often you'll hear people speak of the Holy Spirit with the pronoun it. Don't do that. He's not an it. He's a he. Okay. And um, if you find yourself, you know, by mistake somehow falling into that, catch yourself and say, no, no, he's a person. You know, what, what if Jim said, <clears throat> my wife and I had a great weekend, and it was so good to me. I would have an it, it on my head right here. <laughs> it made me a very nice meal, and uh, it rubbed my feet. <laughs> uh, you know, you'd say, well, well, why do you know? Don't do that with regard to the Holy Spirit, Dave. Can you go back to the last slide for a second? On the uh, engaged in activities and actions proper only to persons, he does more than that. Based on your last one, that said he distinguishes from his own power and influence. You gave a list. There's more to that list that applies to the last point, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, oh yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Not not just his influence. He has other. Um, if you if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, we're not saying that the only thing that he's distinguished from is his power, but we're also <coughs> distinguishing him from other influences like teaching, comforting, guiding. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Or that basically <laughs> um, raises up soul basically or breathes into new life that kind of thing yeah yeah so he does he does all of these things which distinguishes him from the power the influence that he has to do those things Because you made that list, you gave a list of all the different you know, ways he has the same characteristics as a person, but then there's more to that than that. Yes. In the, in the realm of his being being. Yes, yeah, oh yes, uh-huh. Donna? The only is not in front of engagements. That's right. He only engages in activities and actions proper to persons. The only it's not there. Which one are we on here? Number two. He engages second point down. Oh, okay. Proper only to persons, yes. The only is not in front of the word 
Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, okay, I see you. that's true. Okay, um, let's go on to the fact that he is a distinct person. Actually, I guess we kind of did that already, didn't we, in essence? So, um, <coughs> okay, so here is, uh, actually, I think I got behind on my, yep, I got behind on these. So these are just <coughs> indicating the passage of scripture that we already read and looked at. Um, and there's that big long list that we're talking about. Okay, he's in equal status with other Trinitarian persons. Okay, sorry about that, I should have. Uh, here's one that we didn't look at, 1 Peter 1, 2. That we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit that you may obey Jesus Christ. So all three persons are distinguished there. And um, same thing with regard to first, Second Corinthians 13, <coughs> 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So all three are distinguished uh, from one another. <coughs> and we talked about the personal pronouns. I'm going to have to catch up here. He's distinguished from his power and influence. <coughs> and he is a distinct person. Okay, Nehemiah, <clears throat> and under the heading that he is a distinct person, he is distinct from the Father, Nehemiah 9.20 says that you, speaking of God the Father, you give your good spirit to instruct them. So the Father gives the spirit, indicating that he is distinct. All three persons are manifest at Jesus' baptism, which we've already looked at, indicating their distinction. And... Um, <coughs> Jesus speaks to the Father about the Spirit. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. So we have all three persons being distinguished. The Father, <clears throat> the Son, and the Spirit are there in those passages. <coughs> and then, of course, there's the occasion, which uh, we will talk about in uh, weeks to come, of Christ pouring out the Spirit at Pentecost a major event in the history of redemption. And Acts 2.33 says, having been exalted the right to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So <clears throat> the Father has promised it, he gave it to the, gave to the Son, and then the Son poured forth the Spirit. He is a divine person. <coughs> Not only is he a distinct person, but he's a divine person. He is referred to as God, Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to, the lie, to, to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but to God. <clears throat> so, to lie to God is to lie to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. Job 34, 33, 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, now, the reason why this is a significant passage is because of what's called Hebrew parallelism. He, the Hebrew language 
has what's called parallelism, where something is stated and then it's restated, and the two statements are basically saying the same thing in, in two different ways. Like I might say, I took my van to church. I drove my Dodge to church. Well, when I say I took my, 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 my uh, van, took and van is the same as drove and dodge. Just two different ways of saying the same thing. Well, this is parallelism. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So the Spirit of God is the same with the Almighty. He is an Almighty Spirit. He is the Almighty. So Hebrew parallelism, parallelism there indicates that the Spirit of the Holy Spirit is God. His words and actions are God's words and actions. Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now notice, and you probably already know this, that in your, in your scriptures, if you see the word Lord in all caps, who you translated Yahweh, Jehovah, obviously a reference to God, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. <clears throat> Hebrews picks up that same passage. It says, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, for after he said, that is the Holy Spirit. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law upon their hearts. So what was, <clears throat> what was attributed to, to, to Jehovah in Jeremiah 31 <clears throat> is attributed to the Holy Spirit in Hebrews 10. Why can that be? Because the Holy Spirit is Jehovah. He's God. Psalm 95. <clears throat> 6-9. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah when your fathers tested me. Okay, so that's um, the Lord, Jehovah. Hebrews 3, 7 picks up on that occasion that was referenced there in Psalm 95. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, of course, 95 said is that uh, it was the Lord, Jehovah, who said it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me by testing me. The Holy Spirit says this, just as, the, as Jehovah says this, because he is God. Um, another quick one, and he, that is the Lord Jehovah, said, go and tell this people, keep on listening and do not perceive. Acts 28, 25, <clears throat> Paul had spoken one parting word, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father, saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. So Paul regarded the Holy Spirit as God, since he says it was the Holy Spirit who said what Isaiah tells us the Lord Jehovah said. He possesses divine attributes, <clears throat> holiness, sinfulness. He is the Holy Spirit, as we've already discussed. He's omniscient. We've already talked about this. He knows the mind of God. <laughs> you can't know the mind of God if you're not omniscient, because God's mind is omniscient. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord to become his counselor? 
He knows all things. Nobody can counsel him. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. Psalm 139, great passage to deal with um, the abortion issue. But um, Psalm 139, verses 7, and 12, 7 through 12 say, Where can I go from thy spirit, or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that is the grave, death, behold, thou art there. There's, no, there's nowhere where you can go to escape the presence of God because he's omnipresent. And he's eternal. The eternity of the spirit, Hebrews 9, 14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself. If he's eternal, been here forever, will be here forever, then he is God. He is. And he is worthy of the reverence due only to God. Luke 12, 10. And everyone who will speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. <laughs> That's a reverence given only to God. And we, <coughs> Romans 9, 1, I am not lying by conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, his conscience. He, he, the Holy Spirit deals it even at the level of the conscience. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Um, this, this joining the Holy Spirit in with the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God is a reverence again. Could you imagine somebody, you know, Pastor Mark getting up and giving a, a benediction, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of um, uh, Jim Criswell, be with you all. No, I mean, you'd say, what? That, that just doesn't fit. That's not right. He, he is not part of the Trinity. Are you? <laughs> he proceeds from the Father and the Son. Boy, we're, we're supposed to leave. We're supposed to stop at what? 1015? Yes. Okay. Well, this has to do with the procession of the Father and the Son. And uh, I don't think we're going to have time to get into that. Maybe you would like to, but I'll just throw it up to you real quickly. John 15, 26 and 14, 26. Um, in those passages, it says that the Son, what the Son is going to do, I will send the Holy Spirit. And he is going to send the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father. What he will do is future. The, the Holy Spirit presently proceeds from the Father. This is telling who he is and which spirit will be sent. Now in John 14, 26, it says that the Father will send the Spirit. So you have the Father sending the Spirit, the Son sending the Spirit. You have the Spirit proceeding, that is, in his essence, he proceeds from the Father. Therefore, the conclusion is that he also proceeds from the Son in his essence. Now, that's real quick, and that's probably over some of our heads here. It's over my head, but um, I wanted to state that.
So the conclusion, the ascending by the Father is a reflection of the ontological relationship between Father and Spirit. Then descending by the Spirit, is all, the Son is also. Thus, if the Spirit proceeds from the Father, then he also proceeds from the Son. What each person of the Trinity does economically is a reflection of their relationship ontologically. Okay, that's a good, that's a good place to end, right? So I, I'll give you a slide on that one. But I believe in the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit we believe in. If the Holy Spirit is a person, don't refer to him as an it. If the Holy Spirit is divine, then he is worthy of our worship and honor, which we are about to engage in. He's not, he may be less prominent in the scriptures, but he's not less worthy of our worship. If the Holy Spirit is divine, he is with you wherever you are. Seek his aid. Ask him to help you, to be with you. Ask his aid is even as we worship. If the Holy Spirit is a person, person has the properties of a person, then he can be grieved. And brothers and sisters, let us not grieve the Holy Spirit. If he illuminates and teaches, ask him to do that for you. Okay, our time is up. I will pray real quickly and be dismissed. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed these truths about the Holy Spirit to us. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would now teach us, move our hearts, give us willing hearts to worship you in spirit and in truth as we gather together to worship our blessed triune God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.